Good afternoon, this is Kimberly Simmons, and we are on the gist of freedom. And I have a, a, a background that I'd like to kind of share with you. I am a Underground Railroad descendant, fifth generation, of a very special, special family. My family has uh, many branches to a very large tree, but I am the third great-granddaughter of a woman by the name of Carolyn Quarles. It became Carolyn Quarles Watkins, and she was an Underground Railroad freedom seeker who, in 1843, found her way home home being the Detroit, Michigan region, more specifically on the other side of our historic Detroit River, known as Windsor Sandwich, Canada. She was 17 at the time of her escape. She escaped as uh, most folks do with a big story, her story being that she was owned at birth in 1826 by her grandfather, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Robert Quarles, who was a Revolutionary War soldier. Her story is shared by many different states. Uh, she took a route, a thousand miles, uh, to get to her place known as home now through five different states, which included her starting place in St. Louis, Missouri, at Sixth and Pine, not too far from the arch that now stands today on the banks of the Mississippi. She crossed over into Illinois at, at Alton, which is uh, the other side of the Mississippi from St. Louis, traveled through Illinois one time, and then ended up for about a month in the state of Wisconsin. It is there that she became a folk heroine later. Um, she is celebrated all over the uh, state of Wisconsin after her story was done uh, by the University of Wisconsin through research, discovered some of her stops in places that she visited. So now as we move ahead here close to about 200 years, her story is considered folklore for the state of Wisconsin. She was the first documented escape through the state of Wisconsin. And her story is celebrated in uh, many books, uh, articles, uh, research, and as a matter of fact, by her third great-granddaughter in a volume known as A Fluid Frontier, which was published in 2016 by Wayne State University Press. It is the story of quite a family journey. Carolyn's story is very uh, apropos to the times that we live in now. It also happens to be a story that is not over. Our family exists on, both, on two sides of a river in two countries. And because of that, it's a living story. Uh, and it's African an international story. Absolutely, um, um, an international yeah. story. Right. It, absolutely, it's 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 an international story. You are correct, and because of that, uh, a story that never stops, or a story that hasn't stopped, we have to sometimes remind those of us that our our um, 
celebrating our story, that it's a story that's not over yet, and it's a family story. So today we're going to talk to another uh, person that's on a personal journey. Her name is Tamara Lanier, and perhaps some of you recognize the picture of their of her ancestor. His name was Renty. Um, it's a, it's a pre, the most famous of the pictures are the photographs are of a of a gentleman standing, uh, bare chested, in a photograph that has a dark background um, that actually shows scars from a um, well not probably not one many uh, whippings that he received during his enslavement. And uh, it is actually in the possession of, the photograph was, is in the possession of Harvard University. Why? Because a Harvard University historian uh, set out to find, um, to photograph uh, in the 19th century early, uh, a photograph of, of, of what he considered the inferior race. And he wanted to photograph it because he was going to write about that. And the photograph exists now to this day uh, in the uh, archives of the uh, of Harvard University. And uh, Tamara Lanier, his uh, descendant, has uh, argued the case as I was putting forth a few moments ago that is that that photograph does not belong to just anyone, it belongs to the family, because this story is evolving. Our story hasn't stopped. The African-American story has not stopped. Uh, even though you may see bits and pieces of it, photograph, photographs of it, our struggle, our struggle's not over, and our struggle should be a family story. So uh, is Tamara with us at this moment? If not, not yet, I'll let you know. We can, we can talk a little bit more. But a family story, it's, it's, um, I think it's, it's history takes on a life of its own. And uh, sometimes we uh, forget that people, historic, significant peoples have a story that belongs to their descendants. It's not a story that belongs to everyone. It's a story that belongs to a family. And unfortunately, um, from a personal standpoint, I have had to remind, on behalf of my family, quite a few institutions that have not uh, necessarily considered that. The African-American story, and in my case, uh, African-American and African-Canadian story, is one that um, is ever evolving. And because it has become the highlight of uh, the uh, historians now, uh, they're doing, we're doing a lot more research into the story of who we are. Uh, they have uh, decided that it is now time to showcase and to share what is American history. It's not African-American history. It is American history. And we have to, uh, as a group of historians, as a group of people, and for that matter, as families, 
we have to make sure that they understand that though some of our stories are significant, some are exciting, some are so exciting they're actually now being put on film to, uh, so that other generations and larger audiences can share in, in the story, share in the, in the excitement. Because of that, we as descendants have to make sure that we are um, sharing the fact that these stories are still evolving and they belong to the family. We're just loaning to, to everyone else. Yes, ma'am. Um, Kimberly, um, until uh, Ms. Lanier uh, calls up, I have a few questions for you. Um, okay. I know you're vigilant as far as the history and protecting your story. Mm-hmm. What do you say to ordinary folk? You know, we're in this presidency, presidency um, and, you know, our mantra used to be ordinary people doing extraordinary things. But because this gentleman was um, elected, I think ordinary people didn't do ordinary things, meaning ordinary people didn't vote. And I think we need to redirect our attention to ordinary people doing ordinary things but creating extraordinary results. Right. Okay. So how do you... um, you know, frame that type of mindset as far as the research you've come across. Was there a whole lot of ordinary people that helped Carolyn Cole on her journey? You know, speak to speak to the importance of people just doing the right thing on a daily basis. Well, you know, every day is an extraordinary life. Everyone has, everyone does something extraordinary probably in their lifetime. Maybe they don't look at it as such. I doubt very seriously that my ancestor thought that what she was doing would be celebrated almost 200 years later. As a matter of fact, I know she didn't. It was what she thought was, it was her life and she wanted to take it back. She did not consider herself enslaved. Uh, As a matter of fact, someone explained that to her, what freedom meant, because she didn't know. She knew that what she saw around her was, was freedom or what she considered freedom. Her, 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 uh, her family members that were free, she was the granddaughter of the, the gentleman that owned her, but for that matter, he was the grandfather of other people in the house. So she noticed that at the time that she was not part of that. And so she decided that at 17 that she needed to go find what everybody else had. And I don't necessarily think that she thought she was doing anything extraordinary. Um, She was just going to find something that she thought was freedom. And in that case, you have a lot of stories out here that do not necessarily, uh, when they happened and at the time that the history happened, I don't think that necessarily everyone was thinking was extraordinary. You've got uh, Robert Smalls, who stole a boat and stole, quote unquote, cargo, stole people and found freedom. But that was because he had the skill set to be able to do that. Now, we look upon his his journey uh, as a uh, journey of courage and an extraordinary journey. He was just trying to get his family to freedom. You look at... uh, uh, Tubman, 
and they talk about a lot about Mrs. Tubman, uh, bless her heart, um, and what she did. Uh, but her journey, most of her journey back to Maryland, were to find her own family and give them their freedom. We look at it as an extraordinary, extraordinary uh, life. However, she was she was on a mission, and that was to free her family. So, okay, Kimberly, it, I hate to interrupt you, but we have Miss Lemire on the phone right now, and I'm going to we, hand, hand her over to you. Thanks so much. We do. Good afternoon. Cameron, Cameron Lanier, it is wonderful to talk to you. My name is uh, Kimberly Simmons, and I, too, share uh, a story of freedom. I'm a Underground Railroad descended, uh, fifth generation of four freedom seekers, one that's fairly, fairly famous. Her name is Carolyn Quarles. She was the first documented escape through the state of Wisconsin. And I think we share a similar um, a similar uh, 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 drive, and that is to uh, recapture the family story. Yeah. And I'd love to hear uh, your 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 uh, your current drive to, uh, if you want to say, rescue the trajectory of your own story that is ever evolving. Our story evolves. It's from Harvard. So, so can you tell me a little bit about, for those that are listening, a little bit about the background on how the hows and the whys. When did you discover that you were, that you were Grantee's uh, third great granddaughter? I mean, you knew it, I'm sure, but when did you discover that this was a journey that you needed to get on? Wow. It is. Uh, an amazing story. I describe it as a divine story that has been destined to be told since the 1800s. And um, I, I often tell people, you know, because when I explain this story and talk about the number of miraculous things that happen, is that it, 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 it's not coincidence, it's not a miracle, it's just divine. And that's the way. I feel about my journey because God has put people in my path. He has revealed information to me that no one really understands how and why that could be. But my story starts with my mother. She's the real heroine in this story because my mother as a child was raised on a family home. And in her home was her grandfather who is the grandson of the man in the image. But my mother, uh, throughout my childhood, throughout my children's childhood, talked about the story of Papa Rinty, the black African. She talked about her experience growing up in Montgomery, Alabama. She referred to it as growing up in the cradle of the civil rights movement. But my mother would share this with, with anyone who was willing to listen. And not only did she talk about Renty, but she talked about who he was as a person and how, what a, a revered figure he was, um, that he was an educator, that he um, learned to read and taught others to read during a time when that was illegal to do, that he would read to read from the Bible to people 
and that, you know, he was just someone that was so well respected in the community. And, um, my, and these are the stories that were told to my mother, uh, you know, about his legacy, about who he was, and my mother shared that with us. And so as my mother got, uh, my mother suffered from diabetes, and towards the end of her life, uh, she always had a desire to document the story. My mother on her maternal parents' side, on her maternal side, they traced their ancestry back to Africa and put together a little 10-page book. And so it was my mother's hope that we put together a similar book tracing our ancestry back to Papa Renti. And so she had always hoped to do that, but as she became ill, she started sharing with me and my children, I want you to write this down. I want you to remember. I want you to document this. And one thing that she would say, she, she would say, always remember, we're tailors, not Thompson. And she would say, you know, another thing that was important, she said, always remember that you're African and Indian. And um, okay. I remember okay. um, visiting, my mother was high maintenance, um, she she demanded a lot of attention. Um, she okay. wanted her family with her at all times. She was quite a bossy lady, but, you know, we all knew that just what, what she said had to be. Um, but she, when she was in the hospital and convalescent homes, and, and for much of her last few years, it was a routine from the hospital to a convalescent home, back home, and then back. So, But we spent time talking when she was in the hospitals and she started, um, you know, her, her, her joy was to tell this story. And so okay. my children who were young at the time, they knew how happy that made her and how it distracted her from her condition. My kids would walk in and sit down and say, grandma, tell us about Papa renting. And if you could see my mom's expression and how she just got comfortable how she forgot about how she felt and how she just settled into her storytelling. And, and oh, we boy. knew that it made her, you know, it pleased her to talk about her ancestors. And so, oh, um, and, and so what we then started, because my mother said, I want you to write this down, write this down. And so we started writing things down, but the names were difficult. It was, you know, my mom could have, hardly talked most of the time, but she was determined to tell the story. Um, so I started recording her telling some of these stories. And oh, that's she, wonderful. Yes, yeah, she talked about Papa Rinty, who his children were, who the, the, the elders were, the, um, the grandparents. She named them all, and she talked about, um, you know, about one of the things that she talked about was religion and how strong religion played a role in their family life. And she would share stories about what was shared with her about the slaves. And my mom talked about the fact that the slaves had to attend the church facilitated by the white slave owner, but that they would secretly sneak off and worship as they pleased. That's how my mom put it. She said they would worship as they pleased, but in a secret space. And so, you know, I remember asking her one day in a convalescent home, I said, well, religion, um, 
was something they should have condoned and, and worshipping. And why was it that the slaves felt that they had to sneak off and, and worship, uh, on, you know, secretly? And so in my research, what I'm finding, uh, and also with Dr. Benjamin Franklin Taylor, Benjamin Franklin Taylor was the slave owner. And his okay. family toured the South establishing Christian churches and indoctrinating the slaves in Christianity. And so, and I got that directly from the slave holders, um, linear descendants. But it was clear okay. to me that Rinty and his family wanted to retain the Christian values that they were taught in Africa. And they had to sneak off and, and worship as they pleased or as their culture uh, and, and, and the heritage that they had. They wanted to embrace that in secrecy because for fear that they would be punished for worshiping in a way that wasn't Christian. Um, right. And, and, so and what, you know, so, go ahead. I'm sorry. How, well, no, this, 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 uh, the photograph, I have to say that uh, as a historian, um, as a uh, lover of history, because mm -hmm. it's the story, it's, it's our story. Yeah. I have seen this photograph thousands of times, like everyone else has. And I guess until you actually know what's going on, you assume, you assume, which mm -hmm. is a bad thing to do, that a photograph such as that that has been publicized and publicized and seen by, by, by millions of people, that it has no story. Not necessarily now as a historian, I know everything has a story. But so, yeah. a, a layperson would see that and would assume that he was just a, um, a, an anonymous person, as we are, mm -hmm. all of us, have mm -hmm. been for years anonymous. And it was just a photograph that was uh, that was found perhaps somewhere, and not knowing the background as we do now, but it, it was just an anonymous person that represents who we were in 1850. And, but now that you know you have been on this trudge to put a story to the photograph, suddenly that photograph takes on a different light, and that oh, is yeah. that our our stories are not anonymous. We are not anonymous. And you know and, Harvard referred to Rinty as anonymous and invisible. That, that's yes. what they described him, knowing that they knew the story of who he was. And that was really one of the, um, the greatest challenges and confrontations that I've had with Harvard. When I put it together and I was certain that this was the man that I had heard so much about for my entire life. I wrote to um, the, the Harvard president, and I talked about the, the origins of the pictures and how they came to be and the race science that Harvard sponsored. And I said to them, I asked for two things, and I was very humble. I said, I want you to look at my research and confirm that you see what I see, that I'm the linear descendant of renting. And I also, I also want you to stop um, presenting renting as invisible. You know who he is, and you know that his intelligence, his literacy, turned Agassiz's science on its head. And I just simply asked him to tell the true story, tell the truth. And um, I got no response. Oh. 
Okay, we are going to, we, we are joining another group of people, so we're going to stop right here, and I'm going to reintroduce ourselves uh, for the audience that we are joining. Uh, I have here, uh, having a lovely conversation, Tamara Lanier, who is the great, great, great granddaughter of a gentleman who we will, uh, we we all have seen his name is Mr. Renke, and uh, his photograph is famous. At one point, it was famous for being an anonymous story, but we have found here recently that it is not so anonymous anymore. Uh, I thank you, Tamara Lanier, for joining us. My name is Kimberly Simmons. I am the third great-granddaughter of a lovely lady known as Carolyn Quarles, who became Carolyn Quarles Watkins, Underground Railroad Freedom Seeker, and the first documented escape through the state of Wisconsin on the Underground Railroad. And I am a Detroit historian, uh, published in uh, 2016 by Wayne State University Press. And we're having a conversation today about stories, family stories. And uh, Ms. Lanier was explaining uh, that uh, she is in, in the midst of, a, of a, a little bit of a, of, a, of a battle, we'll say, with Harvard University over her, her evolving family story. Uh, our stories, Afri the African-American story in this country, is not anonymous, and it, all, it, it, is, it is still evolving. So we were discussing her journey on um, trying to share her family story. So uh, I didn't mean to, to, to do that, but we needed to let the rest of our audience know who, who was having this conversation. So tell us a little bit more about uh, your journey as it, as it pertains to your third great grandfather, uh, Mr. Renty's, uh, uh, well, going from anonymous to uh, joining the ranks of one of those extraordinary stories that is the African-American experience. So why don't you share a little bit more with the audience that just joined us? Yes, so oh great. And as I was saying earlier, my mother, who was the real heroine in this story, prior to her death, she made me promise her that I would document this story of her Papa Rinty. Now, mind you, my mother knew nothing about the daguerreotype. My mother knew nothing about the, the uh, race science uh, that was kind of the catalyst for the daguerreotypes. She only knew what her grandfather had told her about who her papa was. And so when she passed, I felt, uh, firstly, it was a way of healing for me uh, to work on this, but I felt troubled because I didn't know how to do the research, um, and, and we're talking about 2010. We didn't have Ancestry.com at that point. We didn't have 23andMe or really the Internet and access to it that we have today. So it was somewhat more of a challenge. And so one afternoon, I was just so burdened by the promise that I had made to her and how I was going to fulfill it. I was out walking for lunch, and I stopped into a small little ice cream shop, and I was picking up a salad for lunch, 
and I happened to share with the owner of the shop that my mom had passed and this burden that I felt to, to document our genealogy, but I didn't know how to do it. So strangely, this gentleman said, oh, I'd love to do that kind of research. And he said, I'd love to help. Well, when, what, what, year, what year was that? What year was that? 2010. Okay. 2010. So this elderly man, he and his wife operated the ice cream shop. So he, um, I, I wrote down what I knew. I gave him the names that I remembered my mom talking about. I um, told him about Papa Rinty, that he was referred to as the black African, um, some of the children's names and the wife's names. And then I left the shop. And I didn't go back for some weeks um, because I really wasn't I really wasn't sure that he was going to be able to assist me. Um, but when I did go back and visit the shop maybe like three or four uh, a month or so later, he, when I walked in, he says, where have you been? I found an image of your grandfather on the Internet. And I'm like, okay, you're right. Um, so I didn't really know. I didn't really have faith that he had really found um, uh, 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 my relative, and particularly Paparizzi. Okay. So I went back to work, but we exchanged names. I didn't even know the gentleman's name at that point. But we exchanged names. Um, I go back to work, and later that evening, I open the email that he sends me, and I remember reading about the scientist, Louis Agassiz, and who he right. was, and the who early for, race science. Who worked for Harvard. That's how this Harvard got into this uh, conversation. They, they worked for, what do you want from Harvard? That's the question. What, what would you want from them? Okay, I don't believe that they have a right to have absolute control over the images because they were the de facto sponsor of this racial hatred that has offended and has impacted people all over the world. The, the, the Louis Agassiz, he created this science for one reason, and that was to perpetuate slavery because Harvard University, with their president, had a financial interest in prolonging slavery. So, and beyond that, he, his science uh, alleged that blacks were a lesser species, that we were subhuman, that we had the intellectual capability of a seven-month-old infant in the mother's womb. And he has been described by historians as the father of eugenics, the father of scientific racism, the father of medical apartheid. His theories were embraced by people all over the world who then went on to oppress people of color on levels that you wouldn't imagine. And Harvard so you, so you want to, basically from Harvard, you want, number one, to set the record straight. Uh, I, would, I would, okay. I and tell the truth. So set the record straight, and I understand that his descendants are actually involved in this as well. So you yeah. have, that's, that's a pretty, that's a pretty uh, heavy uh, uh, support system uh, that you have there. So once you set the it record is. straight, 
and once you uh, 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 the, the story is, uh, is is presented as it should be, that it was actually mm-hmm. documentation that was done by a by a, at that time um, uh, what was probably considered a. a However, you also want to do what? What do you What do you want to do with this story? You want to share it? How do you want to share this story? Share the real story, the real yeah. story. And, and 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 also, um, you know, there is a greater. It, it, now I say that this is bigger than the images, and what I want to, to for people to focus on is the bigger picture, and that is repairing the harm caused by slavery. This lawsuit invokes the 13th Amendment and perpetuating slavery. And we can document that Harvard continued to exploit, to deny Rinty his legacy, and to profit from his image, and all at the same time denying me access to it. Um, and so, you know, again, it, it's evolved into a bigger picture and a bigger story um, that involves repairing the harm that involves reparations and the discussion about how we can go back and and, and finally have the discussion about what truly happened and and how it's impacted people living today. It impacts our children. Our children need, our children need to know that we are not anonymous stories. Mm -hmm. So I would hope, I would hope that part of your your um, your push and your discussions with Harvard are they geared toward telling the stories to our children? Yeah, and that's in the event I do um, receive um, possession of the images. Um, I, I say that I want to be like Emmett Till's mother. I want to put them on display for the whole world to see and to educate people as to what actually happened. Uh, Because we are just learning our history, and we are just beginning to understand the the, the atrocities that happened during slavery. Every time we've tried to have the discussion or the education, we're vilified, we're attacked, we're told to get over it, to forget it. And, 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 And there's just, you know, like I tell my children, we are living our ancestors' wildest dreams. Oh, absolutely. What do you trade for? This is what, what do you what do you when we have a duty. Go ahead. What do you what do you think of um the profiting from it though? Okay. As I said, as I mentioned, I share with you a heavy load. I have a, mm-hmm. a ancestor who is considered uh very special. What do, what how do you feel about let's say uh movies let's say amusement using the the the, the name uh Renty, using uh his likeness using that to profit amusement parks uh museums creating stories how do you feel about that does that is that something that you're well within your soul or is that yeah. something how do you want that to look I can tell you this. I would oppose Harvard being in a position to use him for profit because of their history and the legacy and their complicity in this. 
but I want the world to know who Rinty is. I, I, I want this to be a visible story. I want people to know who he is. I want people to see the image. And there's something unique about this image that I can't explain. Um, it, it, it drives people to want to know more about who he is or was and what happened. And, you know, I've met so many people who saw the image and who were moved by it. And yes. I say to you know, and, and, and I say, you know, I want, you know, conceivably, you know, we have, uh, as a family and we've had discussions about if we were to get them back, my goal would be to, to, to make sure that everyone has access to them, everyone, not only to the image, but to the story. Yeah, just like. laid out is that is is this what i'm 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 seeing the truth because right now gardens is displaying uh slavery for entertainment um yes uh auction blocks are displayed even though you have to share the history do you think that's the way we should share it or is it best to share the history as you as you have one how do you want to share that story? Do you want to use it to be past and profiteering, or do you want to use it for educational background? Uh, what's most important to me is truth telling. And so um, this, for me, would be a great educational journey. It's really a reteaching of American history. When we start to educate our children as to, and this is the only way that young people are going to value their legacy and embrace who they are, is we have to tell the truth. We have to educate our children so that they understand the suffering and the sacrifices our ancestors made so that we can be where we are today. Okay, so if you, um, how does the reparations factor fit into what you're trying to do? How is that fitting in, the reparations? Because that's the hot topic nowadays yes. is reparations, even though it's been a topic for 40 years, but suddenly yes. it's become a topic that. Uh, our politicians are floating around yeah. it, unfortunately again as a stepping stone to try to get elected instead of it as a very serious and genuine issue. Absolutely, absolutely. And keep in mind now, I've been working on this for nine years. So, you know, it's strange the timing because now when I have been trying to promote this and to unearth this and to expose it for nine years, it seems to be flourishing at a time when everybody is finally willing to say the word reparations. But what right. I'm talking right. about is, again, repairing the harm. And so okay. Um, okay. Harvard, as an educational institution, who recently, uh, within the last few years, hosted 